0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. One, two, three. Very good. Very good. Um, I want to show you later um, awkward hugs. Awkward hugs. It's really, they're really fun to do to people. But don't do it to like a Vietnam vet because they'll kill you. Like, yeah, I'll show you one real quick. Here, okay. stand up. Yes, Put that down. Yeah. So if you go to this is an awkward hug, okay. Now do this to people you know. Don't do this to strangers. Or you're gonna get hurt. An awkward hug, awkward hug. So what you do is on an awkward hug situation. If you want to like really mess with people, when they come to hug you, you put your hands where their hands are going. Like, watch, come to hug me. Yeah, there we go. Oh, See yeah. what I'm saying? Let's do it again. Right, right. Do that again. All right, come to hug me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's awkward, yeah, and then there's wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. I'll show you the other two awkward hugs after church just to do that. I do that to one of, my, uh, one of my coaching buddies, and uh, a, friend, a coaching buddy showed me one, uh, that, and I said, okay, so there's this one coach that we call Coach Sunshine because he's full of sunshine. And, and love, and he's real grumpy and everything, and I was like, I came in there one day, and I was like, what's up, coach? And he's like, hey. And I was like, bring it in, and he came to bring it in, and I put my hands right here, and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> so I'm giving you a hug. Anyway, um, before I get started today, I do want to say um, thank you to my mom and dad for staying married for 50 years. Yeah. Yes. So the greatest gift, I think, uh, that you guys have given me is being together, staying together. My mom taught me how to uh, love the Lord, and my dad taught me how to fear the Lord, if y'all know what I'm saying. And uh, so I got some stories, y'all. Um, we ain't going to get them all today. I'm just, I'm just, it's a miracle that y'all stayed together, and it's a miracle you didn't kill each other, Right? Right? Because my, my dad deals with a demon called the early demon. And my mom deals with a demon called the giggle demon. And you all know what that means. This is what this means. My dad's always, we got to get there. Let's get there. Let's get there. And my mom doesn't always get there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then she has this giggle. Like, you know, like when Jesus came out of the boat and that man came to him and he said, what's your name? He says, Legion. Well, there's also the one that's called giggles, <laughs> right? And I have this, this demon sometimes occurs in me because, like, my mom and dad would be in a conversation, and my mom would have a manifestation of the giggle demon, which would make my dad even more upset, you know? She would wheeze, just like how she's doing right now. She'd wheeze and laugh, like, hee, 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 just like that, and she gets that from her dad, Okay? Grandpa Jones used to do that, and then which would make my dad more upset. And it was just like it was like watching a volcano. You know, it was like what's going to happen? But thank you guys for staying together. I know we'll talk afterwards, and you're gonna. <laughs> my dad's like fear God, boy, fear God. So anyway, um, thank you guys for staying. Fifty years—that's half a century, two quarter centuries put together, five decades. It's a long time, long time. Praise God. Praise God. And y'all still looked so young and beautiful. Amen. Well, listen, 9 part two. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. And our first scripture we're going to look at today is uh, verse 31, John 4, 31. And then we're going to, uh, actually, we're going to go to Amos first. So go to Amos. Y'all know where Amos is? The Scottish prophet. My name is Amos. Okay. Where a kilt? He's not really Scottish. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. All right. So 9-11 part two. So, like I told you last week, Lord been showing me a lot about 9-11-911 and, and kind of did some studying on 9 11 9/11, 9-1-1. And during the week, I, I sent this to my sisters, but I pulled into the parking lot of my school, pulled in behind a car. Uh, turned the truck off and I looked up and the license plate in front of me said GWR nine nine one one and I was like man and I, I don't, like I said I don't like to look at external things but I was like man and it, immediately an acronym came to my mind and you know some people think this is kind of cheesy but God will redeem nine nine one one GWR and so and then uh, Jolene, I think it was sent me a picture of uh, Patrick and, and Hayden. After Hurricane Harvey, they made a sign that said the second day of, or the first day of second grade and third grade again or whatever, and the date on there was 9-11-17, and so when they went back to school after Hurricane Harvey. So I really believe that, prophetically speaking, I want to speak to you today about God and harvest time, and about what God might be doing in Israel, and what God is going to be doing in His church, simultaneously coinciding with each other. And um, when we talk about harvest time, and I really believe that's the season that we're entering in, uh, harvest time is really a kairos moment on the earth. Kairos means this, it's an appointed time. There is a season for everything on the earth. There is a time to be born, there is a time to die. There is a time to plant, and there is a time to reap. There is a time to sleep, there is a time to get up and work. Do you understand that? And so what we're headed into in the season of earth is really a harvest season, and guess what? It's not your harvest, it's not my harvest, it's his harvest. We have to keep that in mind when we come into a harvest season on the earth, is that only the humble will be a part of what God is doing on the earth. He will not allow pride and prideful men and women to be a part of what he's doing. Too many times when we see revival on the earth and a great move of God, like we've seen in America's history with great preachers, what we see is this. We see a move of God, and then automatically what forms out of that is that man puts his face on a move of God. And when that happens, listen, this last harvest season that God will have on the earth he will not allow man to put his face on it. The only face you will see on this harvest season is the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? He's not going to put up with it. Right? That is like a somebody who surfs going out there with a surfboard. Whenever we put a face, a man's face, to revival and harvest time, is like a surfer going out to surf. And he goes out there, and as he's riding the wave, the move of God, he instantly thinks, man, I created this great wave. That is what happens whenever prideful men try to claim hold of what God is doing on the earth, instead of just being part of it. You would look at that surfer and be like, you're ridiculously stupid to think that you created the wave. You're just lucky to be riding on it. Amen? How many of you ever surfed before? You brave people. I would never surf. we are sharks. Okay. And bacteria. Okay? That's truth. (laughs) So, harvest season on the earth for the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. Harvest, there is a distinction between the useful and the not useful parts of plants. Let me just say this real quick. There is a distinction between the useful and the not useful parts of plants. Whenever I go into the garden beside my house... There is part of the plant that I pick off that I can eat. The other parts I leave there. Why? Because I don't want to eat them. So in my my garden here, I have tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. It's awesome. And then I've got broccoli. I don't even know if they're ready yet or not. I don't know what's going on with the broccoli. And I got broccoli. I got cucumbers. I got uh, carrots. I got carrots. I got squash. And then I've got these sunflowers that are like eight foot tall. And the other day, we picked off one of those sunflowers, and we brought it inside, and there's like hundreds, thousands of seeds in this thing. And I'm like, oh, man, this is so cool. Let me eat one of the sunflower seeds. I thought, this is going to be interesting, because if you know you ever eating sunflower seeds with the hard shell and it's salty, you're like, mm, I had that in my mind. Oh, It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to be taken back to my childhood in the baseball dugout with the sunflower seeds. And I took one out and I was like, what is that? And Landon had grabbed one and he was eating. He was like, I don't like it. I don't like it either. This is, uh, this is horrible. So anyway, but at harvest time, listen to me. Now this is going to play into what God's going to be doing in Israel and what God's going to be doing with the church locally and globally and in it personally in your life. Okay, But what God is going to be doing is going to be setting a distinction between that which is useful and that which is not. That's harvest season. Let me tell you what harvest season is like. Harvest season is where you walk into that season with reverent fear of God. And those who disclaim that God ever existed, don't like Him, or continue to live in rebellion against Him, will find out soon enough they should walk in reverent fear of God. Our job is to pray for their blinders to be taken off so that they may turn to the Lord and be saved. Not to judge them. Judgment is of the Lord. Okay? So that's what harvest season is. It's a time where God pulls good, gloriful things out of hard, difficult trials of my life. See, the things that are deemed not useful in your life, that are in the dirt, that are ordinary, that have been difficult... That have automatically produced this fruit in your life, that is what God's going after. And some of the things in your life that you don't even know why they're there or why they happen to you, you don't understand until God of harvest comes and picks the fruit out of your life and says, See, this is what I want. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you have been to a difficult time in your life? Okay. The reason why is this, when I use the word in a difficult time, when I use the word in a difficult time, it begins to produce fruit in my life. For the Lord of the harvest to come and partake of it with me. Amen? See, seeds speak of faith, fruit speaks of fullness. All right? So we're entering a harvest season, globally, locally, and individually. Listen to me. Globally, locally, individually. Harvest season. Harvest time is when God begins to move. It's not necessarily a revival depicted by one evangelist calling many to be saved, but it's God enjoying the fruits of what he worked for in your life, in the church, and in Israel. All right? There's a reason why Billy Graham died recently. You know why? You know why Billy Grant? Because he was almost 100 years old, that's why. There's nothing prophetic about that. The man was old, y'all. But he ran his race and he ran it well, did he not? Very well. Now, if all of us were to live as Billy lived, with promoting the gospel and making disciples, God has not called you to hold giant crusades. He's called you to take the Holy Spirit to work. Okay, And sometimes we think, well, I'm not doing enough because we compare ourselves to other Christians. You do not compare yourself to other Christians. You compare yourself to Christ. Because to compare yourself to other Christians, either to make yourself feel good, well, oh, I would never do that. How many of you have ever done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, nobody. See, now y'all just lie. See, y'all lying right now to me. Okay? I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, all right? Lying in church, all right? But we we compare ourselves to Christ. Now that changes the standard because then it makes me walk by faith in my individual walk and now I'm responsible to Christ for my daily activity, not trying to assume and do something that God has called somebody else to do. See, I can rest in the fact of my gifts and my calling knowing that this is what God's called me to do. God has not called every single one of you to preach. Okay? Some of you might get up here and think, oh, I'm called to preach. And you get up here, and it's the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life. Why? Because God didn't call you. God called you to intercede. God called you to get in your car after work, drive around the city, and intercede for the city. And you find so much fulfillment enjoying that. And guess what? That is part of being part of God's harvest time. Amen? Okay? Now, Two things that God's going to do in a harvest season. It'll be seen through two different ways. Number one, he will be returning Israel to her former glory. Pay attention to me, church, because you're going to see things on the news. Just remember this. God is going to be returning Israel to her former glory. Simultaneously bringing the church to the fullness of glory. All for his glory. Okay? Turn to Amos 9.11, God returning Israel to her former glory. Now, I'm going to start in verse 9. Now, this is chapter 9, verse 11. Everything except for uh, John we'll go through is going to be chapter 9, verse 11. This is what God's continually to show me, okay? All right. I'll start in verse 9. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes With a sieve. Okay? All right? What is he doing? He's separating out the wicked from the righteous. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Because we are God's people, he will not, he will not, he will not take us into captivity of other nations. We are God's people. So we can live how we want, do the sacrifices so that we can sin how we want and live how we want, and God says, I don't know you. Listen to me. It is demonic to say, I will go to church to confess my sins so that I can live how I want. If you think that you can play games with God's people and with God's house, you're going to find out quickly he will not allow it. Okay? Right? Does he love you? Oh, my gosh, yes. Why? Why do you know that? Because he gave his son. But if his son is not reverently respected, you will find out quick that God does not like that. Amen? 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 Okay, that was my dad coming out, the fear of God right there. Let's go, let's go back to my mom. All right, love of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right. I'm not going to get an inheritance. I can tell you that right now. All right, verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David. Here we go. That is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. All right, now watch this. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Come on. And the treader of grapes who sows the seed. That's harvest season, church. The mountain shall drip "'Sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. "'I'll restore the fortunes of my people Israel, "'and they shall rebuild the ruined cities "'and inhabit them. "'They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. "'They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. "'I will plant them on their land, "'and they will never again be uprooted. "'Out of the land that I have given them, "'says the Lord your God.'" So, World War II happens. All of a sudden, Israel goes back, right? They get back into the land. Now watch this. The difference between the tabernacle in the booth of David and the tabernacle that Moses had set up was this. Between David dancing and worshiping the Lord at the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant, there was no veil. Moses had the veil, correct? Correct? In the Old Testament, they had the veil. And if you went in past the veil and you were not a high priest or you had sin in your life, you dead, you gone. They used to wear bells around their ankles, right? And when the bell stopped jingling, oh, there's another one. Drag him out. How would you like that responsibility as a high priest? Once a year, you're going to meet God, and you better not have anything wrong or defect or sin in your life. You gotta make sure you wash clean at the bronze laver. Make sure the sacrifice. I mean, I'd be taking a bath for like a few days, y'all. Okay, and I'd I'd be like that high priest that had that veil and put my foot in and be like, "Yeah, is he gonna kill me? I don't know." Right? Pull it out, see if I got leprosy on it. All right, we're good. Okay. But there was no veil, meaning this, is that David could worship freely before the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God. He could dance freely in his priestly garments. Matter of fact, when they brought it in, he danced before it. And one of his wives said, oh, you foolish, you're becoming undignified. And he says, I'll become even more undignified than this. Right? Because he was dancing before the Lord. There was this interaction between Yahweh and God's people that was not constricted behind a veil. We're coming upon a harvest time where Israel will see the one whom they have pierced. Okay? And he's going to restore every, the foundation will not have a crack, the pillars will not have a smudge from fingerprints, it will be as clean, and guess what? Every land that they were supposed to possess, they will. They will be a healing for all the nations, and they will be a hatred for all the nations. People will go to Israel to be cured of diseases. That's God's harvest time. People will go there and find that they can be blessed in Israel. People can go there and find joy of the Lord in Israel, and all the surrounding nations will hate them for it. Matter of fact, they'll hate them so much that they will rise up against them to go fight Israel, but then they will realize they're not fighting Israel, they're fighting Yahweh, and they're going to lose quick. Okay, if you if you haven't seen the news, so the embassy moves to Jerusalem. No big deal, right? We're just moving the embassy to Jerusalem, the state capital. That would be like Canada telling Texas, your state capital can't be in Austin; it's got to be at Sea Rim State Park. I'm being serious. How many would like your capital at Sea Rim State Park? It might be a, Austin's kind of weird, but anyway. And then they say we're going to move it to Jerusalem. Now, whether you like Trump or not doesn't really matter because all the king's hearts are in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it however he wants to go. So if God can use a donkey in the Old Testament to prophetically speak to a prophet, God can use any man. Okay? You're saying Trump's a donkey? No, he's a Republican ticket. The donkeys are the Democrats. That was a joke, y'all. Come on, laugh. All right? All right? So he turns. So listen, that's a prophetic timeline. Did you see them go irate over that? What do you mean you can't be in Jerusalem? Oh, yes, it can. And so they did all this protest and all this kind of stuff over just moving an embassy to Jerusalem. Here's what it means, guys, is this, is that God is getting ready to pour out such a blessing on Israel that it will be like in her former days. Praise and worship will go up and they will possess every land that they were supposed to possess and every fruit that they were supposed to grow will grow in abundance and they will be there for the healing of the nations and also their hatred. And you say, well, why is that? Because it's God's harvest time. This isn't something that's conjured up by man. This isn't like, hey, we're gonna have a revival, so let's do this. Let's hell this and those those were good in the former days. Those were good. I'm not I'm not bashing those. I'm just saying, listen, I'm here to tell you God has got his timing, and guess what? It's his time. And I'm not trying to conjure you up to try to like get you to agree with me. I'm just telling you what I know. And what I've heard, it's God's harvest time. He's going to return Israel to her former glory, and he's going to bring the church to the fullness of glory. Amen? Turn to John chapter 4. Now, what does fullness mean? I'm going to read this to you. You're in John chapter 4 because we're talking about harvest time. Um, but I'm going to read this to you in Colossians 2.9. I know I'm jumping around here, and the guys in the back are probably you know, not liking me about this. But I'm going to read this to you in Colossians 2.9. Find it real quick. Got my thin pages here. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, talking about Jesus Christ, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay? So watch this. As a church right now, I just want you to understand something. Everything that God was, is, and will be dwelled in bodily form at a time in Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. All right? Not 75% human, 25% God. Not 55 45 nothing like 100% man, 100% God. Right there in Jesus Christ. Now, you have been given full access in him. And he is the head of all authority and power. If you don't like something politically that's going on in the world, why don't you talk to the one who is overall head of authority and power on the earth and intercede? Okay? All right? Now, I'm going to read this to you. Ephesians chapter 4. This is talking about fullness and what fullness is. Ephesians chapter 4. And this is one of our favorite scriptures here. Fullness is reaching fullness. Here we go. Ephesians, I'll start in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into lower regions of the earth. He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of what? The anointing. Okay? Listen to me now. I'm speaking, I know some of this might be over some of your heads. Sometimes it might be some of y'all's first time here at church. I'm sorry. Okay, If you got questions, ask Andy next week. All right. But listen, when we reach the fullness of Christ, we're reaching the full capacity of the anointing to be poured out in the church, through the church, and among God's people. So what does fullness mean? Fullness means this, is that I am fully human, but I have full access to Jesus Christ and the anointing. What does that mean? It means I work a nine to five with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that I try to do all these like, things, like try to go over an abundance of like, trying to please God with doing all these church things. It just means this, is that when I send that email on Monday, I ask the Holy Spirit, how do I say this? It's, it's really that simple. And the Holy Spirit might say, don't send the email. Go to their office and talk to them. Church, are you, are you following what I'm saying? Okay? Are you following what I'm saying? Now listen, it means to fully access the Holy Spirit in the fullness of the anointing of Christ in our day-to-day activity. Do you know when I prepared this message, over half of this message was prepared when I was mowing the grass and weed-eating? I mean, mowing the grass and weeding is fun. It's not fun, okay? Rachel tried it the other day. She was, last week she was trying it, and she was like, man, this is hard. I was like, I know. I know. She was like, how do you do this? I was like, I don't know. I'm just really strong. Anyway, okay? And she bought me weed eater fluid, and I was weed eating. It's like, all right, all right. And then the string came out, and I was like, oh, well, I'll go get some more string. I didn't have any more string. I was halfway done with my weeding. And I was like, man, shucks. <laughs> so I just so I just finished mowing. And then my neighbor came down, he's like, hey, how you doing? I was like, oh good. And then Rachel's like, yeah, he was weeding but ran out of string. He's like, well I got I got I got string. I was like, wait, sh- shut up. Why why are you here right now at my house? He's like, you just borrowed my weed eater. I was like, all right. And he had like one of the top. I got one of these like, you know, preschool, like you pick at like a Toys R Us weed eaters. You are know, like, right? Okay. He had one that was like, I turned it on and the idle was as fast as when I had my full throttle on. I turned it on. And I was like, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm getting one for the zombie apocalypse, y'all. It's weed eat them, mow them people down. You can't eat my brains. Get a weed eat Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. So fullness is living under the full anointing of God on your day-to-day activity. It means basically uh, living in the power of the resurrection on your day-to-day activity. When you go to Market Basket, when you go to Kroger, wherever you go, when you go to the credit union, the Holy Spirit is there with you. You are filled every day. Every day you make provision for his presence so that you can be filled. It is a moment-by-moment process. You're not filled at one point in time and expect to live a resurrection power anointed life. You have to day by day be filled by his presence. Otherwise, it's less of his presence and more of yours. Have you ever hung out with you lately? <laughs> yeah. See? Yeah. I've hung out with myself lately. I'm I'll tell you what. It's messed up. All right. Now, five things the Lord's going to do and five responsibilities of you and I as church, individually, locally, and everybody say it with me, globally. Okay? Now, God knows who is his church and who is not. There are times where churches go into and allow sin to remain in their church, and God knows what the wolves are and where they are, and he will not allow it to stand. Okay? So any time that we have preaching that is not in full line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning this, that there is sin, there is wrong, there is morality, and Christ defines what it is, not man. The second that man becomes the center of the universe is the second that morality goes out the window because now he defines what it is. And it's so subjective. That's why you can have, and I'm going to say this, and I I know people like this, and I love them to death. I'm I'm not somebody who wishes harm on anybody. But if you have somebody who is a preacher of the gospel but openly claims to be homosexual, homosexual, then guess what? That is sin. And no, you are not saved. Okay? Come on. Well, I was born this way. Well, guess what? I was born with natural tendencies, too. But you don't see me up here preaching the gospel and not addressing the sin in my life and say, Well, I was born this, I was born heterosexual, so I'm gonna sleep with all these women, but I'm gonna preach for the gospel. You would automatically be like, Oh, that's sin, Travis. Wouldn't you? Right, right. God will not allow in harvest season corruption of the gospel, it is too important. People will die and go to hell because the gospel is not preaching its truth and purity. Uh, calm down, y'all. All right. Now, there's a difference. Listen. Listen to me now. God's gracious. There's a difference if you struggle with those kinds of things, and but yet you are, you're trying to, to basically sanctify and go after the Lord, but you have struggles in your life, whatever tendency it is, and you confess those sins, and, and you, know, you fall many times, and, but you get up, and you're still leaning on the Lord. And guess what? The Lord didn't create you that way. But guess what? The Lord will deliver you from that. There's a difference with getting up here and preaching the gospel, knowing that there is brokenness in my life and that I do have tendencies, but I lean on the power of Jesus Christ and his blood at the cross. I don't just accept it. well, this is sin in my life. This is who I am. No, it's not. No, it's not. So whatever it may be, I mean, you might deal with alcoholism. Well, you know, genetically, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Genetically, I don't care. I don't, and neither does the Lord because the anointing is so powerful. And when I confess my sin to the Lord and I say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me, it says this He is faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Come on, yeah, good. He is faithful and just. So listen. Do I struggle with stuff? Do I struggle with doubt or anxiety or any of those? Yeah, that, that those are fine if we're leaning on the Lord and He is going to pull us through those things. But never in your life should you accept it and say, "Well, this is just who I am. God's going to have to accept me who I am." No, He doesn't. You accept Jesus as He is, crucified on the cross. Okay. All right. Genesis nine eleven. Five things the Lord's going to do to bring us to fullness. Five responsibilities of the church. This is right after Noah and the flood. He just took a long boat ride with his whole family. And then after that, he got drunk. I, I can understand why. You know? I mean, have you ever been on a boat with your kids trying to fish? You don't fish. He's touching me. He's breathing on me. I'm about to throw both y'all out. (laughs) Put your life vest on. (laughs) Here's your floaties. There's the shore right there. It says, uh, verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all the flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. The, one of the things that God's going to do is this He's going to establish a renewed purpose. You have to understand that Noah was like the second Adam. And I can't get into all the detail, but mankind had become so uh, distorted and basically um, evil that God had to distinguish between the righteous, Noah, and the unrighteous. And there's a lot that goes into it, but before the flood, there was a thing called the Nephilim. If Y'all know those things, right? Okay, the Nephilim, right? And they infiltrated, um, they infiltrated, almost said American society. They infiltrated American society. They didn't infiltrate, well, I don't know. But anyway, um, mankind, and guess, it, what, basically what it was is that the enemy, the devil can never create anything. All he ever does is take what God created and he twists it and manipulates it. And so the devil started to manipulate mankind in his own image. That's where you get the giants. Okay, And God would not have any of it, so he sent a flood. Now he says, I'll establish my covenant with you. And Noah comes out of that with a renewed purpose. A renewed purpose. And it says this. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that between me and you, every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me uh, and the earth. All right? So a renewed purpose, all right? Now go to Exodus 9:11. Exodus 9:11. There's going to be a renewed purpose poured out in the church. How many of you have ever been going to church, going to church trying to live a good godly life? And you lost a sense of purpose in what you were doing. Listen, I've been a pastor. That's been me. Come on. And if it's been me, more than likely, it's been you. And if you don't realize it, it's been you. Okay? A renewed purpose. Exodus 9-11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord has spoken to Moses. Now basically, at the beginning of this chapter, God told Moses, says, go get ash from a furnace, and all I want you to do in the presence of Pharaoh is take that ash and throw it up. He says, just by doing something that's normal, common, ash, throwing it up, no big deal, I'm going to then put boils over all the animals and all the people in Egypt, knowing that you are my people. Okay? So he did that. And guess what? For a time, the magicians could copy what Moses did. So when they met Moses, at one point, they had a staff and they threw it on the ground and their staff became a snake. Y'all remember this story? Okay? Now, thank God some of you ain't Moses. How many of y'all like snakes? Right? Yeah, the magicians would have thrown that snake, uh, the staff down, turned into a snake. Y'all been like, ha ha ha! Right? Backpedaling, where's my shotgun? Right? But Moses threw his staff down, and his staff that turned into a snake ate the other snakes. Okay? And you say, man, that sounds like a fairy tale. This, this happened, man. This happened. Now, come to another point in time. That was just a first little introduction between Moses and the magicians. The righteous and the unrighteous. The world can only copy the anointing for such a time. When it comes down to it, now Moses appears before them, and now they can't even throw their staff down to do anything. They can't even stand. Why? Because there is a resurgence of power on Moses. Listen to me. First one, you're going to have a renewed purpose. Second one, a resurgence of power in your life. You want to know another 9-11? Here we go. Genesis, Exodus, go to Leviticus 9-11. Now this is talking about the sin offering. It says this, The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Okay? The flesh and the skin. So a sin offering was basically an offering given for careless sin not thinking through things and not realizing some of the sin in our life. How many of you ever have not realized some of the sin in your life until a certain point in time Then you go, oh my gosh, that's sin. Okay? That's what the sin offering was. And there were specific commandments. You're going you're to take this to the altar. The flesh part The part that is not useful for worship, you take it outside the camp and you burn it there. There are things in your life that are not useful for worship. Burn it. Church, this is what God's going to do. He's going to have a refreshing of purity among his people. Now listen. I like hobbies. I like to do things that help me relax and everything. But there's, a, there's, there's a, a fine line between your hobby or what you like to do becoming your lifestyle and you ignoring Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. If it does not promote worship of God, burn it outside the camp of your house. Okay? Okay? Burning out. It says this in John chapter 15. It says, The Lord prunes so that we may produce more fruit. See, there's some things in your life that may not be sin, but they ain't useful. Okay? They ain't useful. They ain't useful. Okay? Let me just say this. You want to be healthy and fit so that you can do more work at your local church to help the church grow. Amen? Then chocolate ice cream at ten o'clock at night is not useful for you. So I was fine with the homosexual thing. Now you talk about chocolate ice cream. Now you done did it. I ain't coming back. <laughs> you done messed with my chocolate ice cream, man. Okay. I'm just saying, can you eat chocolate ice cream? No, it's a sin. No, i just kidding. Yes, you can eat chocolate ice cream. I had one last night. I had banana pudding from Mama Hanks. Y'all know who Mama Hanks is? Y'all need to find out. She made banana pudding for me. Huh? Oh, and Charlotte. Charlotte Sasser made banana pudding and Mama Hanks. Y'all know who Charlotte Sasser is? Y'all better find out. I ate chicken and dumplings made by Debbie. Chicken and dumplings, y'all. Okay, and I overate. I was I, I sinned. I just I just popped. It's so good. It's so good. I ate that, and then Debbie goes, "We have some banana pudding from Mama Hanks and Charlotte Sasser." I said, "Get behind me, Satan." Did I say that? No. I said, bring it. <laughs> bring it, man. Bring it. Just slopping that stuff. We got. I, I ate, I had a bowl full. I ate half of it. And I was like, I, got, I can't. I can't. And my son, Landon, he's over on the end of the table. and He goes, I can't eat more. Like, the desperate look in his eye was, I want to eat the rest, but Daddy, I can't. What do I do? What do I do, Dad? I don't know. Put it in the fridge. Save it for later. But I told him, put it in the fridge, man. So I ate that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to work on my message. So I went to bed. And I'm in bed right there. And, I'm, boy, I'm working on my message. And then Debbie goes, hey, I bought these new chocolate ice creams. Won't you try one? I was like, man, I'm working on my message. Give me that. Down that thing. So can you eat ice cream? Yes. But what I'm, what I'm saying is you have to, listen, <laughs> yeah, you have to. On a serious note, there are things in your life that you do that are not useful for Yahweh. But we continue down that same path. And, oh, well, this is just what I like to do. This is, you know, whatever. I know we have times that we need to relax. There are times where we need to eat some crawfish. And if you look in the Levitical law, they're very bad for you. But anyway, that's beside the whole point. Okay? Yeah, I'm back on that. Okay? If you weren't here last week, is a trip. On the way in, I asked her. I said, "Hey, do you want to stop and get some?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't know what goes through my head sometimes, man. It's that giggle demon my mom had. <laughs> and that, I'm being serious. I got that thing as a generational curse. We get into conversation. We get into conversation, and Lainey has it too. Now my daughter. We be getting on to Lainey. Lainey. I'm going to tear your rear end up. And, she <laughs> and then I'm sitting there saying, I'm going to tear your rear end up. She starts laughing. I go, that's funny. What, what are we laughing at? I don't even know. I'm a horrible father. Can't even discipline my kids. Got that stupid giggle demon. And then I got my dad's demon, too. Come on, we got to go. We got to go. Get here. Let's go. Where are we going? I don't know, but we got to get there. 30 minutes early. And then we leave 30 minutes early to get home. Why we got to get home? I don't know. Just get home. You don't know when the rapture will happen. I don't know. But there are things in our life, listen, a refreshing of purity in your life. Refreshing of purity in your life. Hey, listen, let me, let me just say this, and I'm going I'm I'm to I'm say this and we're going to move on. But refreshing and purity in my life, whenever we were, we had, our, we had our church, and I'll never forget this, I don't have to, I came to this conclusion, and this was such a, a refreshing of purity for my own life, because I've been thinking about God and our relationship in a, in a wrong way. I always had in the back of my mind that I had to preach, I had to do something for the Lord for him to love me. And I'll never forget, whenever we decided to dissolve our church, it was just a weight lifted off of me. And you know what the one thing that remained? Ministry didn't remain at the church, but you know what did remain? His love and acceptance of me. And I'll never forget, whenever we started a church, we started it at a school, and I found a, um, a sterling silver ring that had crosses on it, like a week or so after we started the church, or a month or so. And I put that ring, I asked all my students, because we had the, the church at the school that I taught at. I asked them, "Is this your ring? Is this your ring? No, 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 no." So I put that ring on, and to me, that always symbolized ministry. I was like, "Oh man, I, I, I think the Lord gave that to me." I mean, I asked everybody, "Right, my rings?" Right. I just I, and it fit perfectly, so I always wore that ring as like a, a ring to remind myself, "Hey, th- uh, you're, you're called, right? You're called." And you know what happened? A month after we dissolved the church, I was outside washing my car, and my friend who let me borrow the weed eater showed up, and he was like, what are you doing? And I went like this to get the soap off my hands, and that ring slipped right off. My marriage ring didn't, but that ring slipped right off. And it went ting, 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 and I went, oh, and I started talking to him. I cannot find that ring. I've looked for that ring. I've weed it. <laughs> I've pulled up grass. I mean, I've done everything. I cannot find that ring. And it was kind of like the Lord, as I was stepping out and taking a season out of ministry, so to speak, I felt the Lord say to me, you don't have to wear that ring for me to love you. Listen, for many of us, we do things to try to earn God's favor, to make Him like us even more. And I just want, a refreshing of purity means this, I don't have to do anything but by faith receive His love through Christ. What that will do is, you'll stop having to work for your refinement and that will refine you to where now the work you produce will be fruitful. Amen? Amen? I can rest in that, all right? All right, fourth thing, Numbers 9-11. Numbers 9-11. Let me get there says this, in the second month on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. What God is going to do, first thing, a renewed purpose. Second thing, a resurgence of power. Third thing, a refinement of purity. And fourth thing, a reminder of Passover. A reminder of Passover. What was Passover to the Jews and the Israelites was this. It was a meal set up to remind them that God delivered them from slavery. You eat these bitter herbs, and any time you eat that bitter herb, it is a distinct reminder that God delivered us from the bitterness of slavery. When you take communion, this is your Passover. You are taking the bread, which basically is the body of Christ, which was broken for you that you might be made whole, You're taking the bread, and it is a reminder, I had strongholds in my life. Egypt had surrounded me, and I could not get out but Christ. So I take the bread, I eat it, and I drink the cup. And it is a reminder to me, in the fellowship that I have, a reminder of Passover, that I was once a slave to sin, but now I am free to Christ. How many of you know me I've been to this church, and, and, and actually, I'll ask this question. How many of you don't know me? Like, you don't know me. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right, good, good. A lot of people don't know me. All right? Well, I got banana pudding, so you might want to get to know me. Because you don't really know me, know me, right? I'm going to tell you my testimony real quick in this, okay? Without crying. That's a lie. But I'm going to tell you my testimony real quick, okay? A reminder of Passover is a reminder of the testimony that you have because God delivered you from whatever it was. And this season, God is going to sit down with you in a meal and remind you that you were once a slave to sin, but he has set you free. When I was 11 years old, I had some friends of mine that showed me pornography. Okay? That was a stronghold in my life for a long time. Long time. And it was done, at, now I'm not mad or bitter or anything like, I'm, you know, like that, but it was a stronghold in my life for a long time. It, it, it basically, what it did to me, and looking back on it, what it does, what pornography does, especially to young boys, is this. It molests their minds and it rapes their innocence. Okay? I didn't realize it at the time. So it was a stronghold in my life a long time. I get married. I, well, actually, let me go back. I come to this church one Sunday, and there's a man up here with a gap in his front teeth about this big <laughs> with a guitar. And he says, You come to this church six months, you'll never be the same. I'm like, I've been here six minutes. I don't know, what, what? <laughs> you know, he'd say things. We gotta stand in the gap. Which gap we talking about now? <laughs> Y'all remember that? Stand in the gap. Intercede. We talk, we, what are we talking about? So I started coming to this church. I was about 17. Started coming to this church. The man was right. Never been the same. Got delivered from that stronghold. So much so that I got married. And then... There was a house given to us for free. That house is where the video was shown to me. Now, let me just say this. Give it to me for free. Now, before you say, oh, man, a house given to you. You didn't see it, okay? Okay? You didn't see it. You know what? We... We talked about my mom was like, we're going to go around that house and anoint it with oil. Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) And then my dad was like, yeah, and set it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) Burn that thing down. Sell the property. (laughs) Whatever. So we get the house, and we're remodeling it. I'll never forget, I woke up early one morning to go have my quiet time with the Lord. And this is what the Lord spoke to me, clear as day. In the house where my stronghold began, it ended. And he says this, he says, I have given you the land that conquered you. Fix the house up. And I told Rachel, because I told Justin and Annie a couple years before that, God's called me to go to seminary. I didn't have this house. I was still dealing with things in my life. I just knew that God called me to go to seminary. I told them that. About two years later, got this house. We fixed it up. And I went to Rachel and I said, hey, I feel like the Lord wants us to, go to sell the house and go to seminary. I feel like it's the right thing to do. It wasn't like a burning bush moment, nothing like that. Just hey, It just feels like the right thing to do. I said, but if you don't want to, we won't go. Now, looking back, dude, that was smart, okay? And she said, well, if that's what you feel like the Lord wants you to do, let's do it. I said, okay. We put the house on the market. Listen to me, church. This is how God is in the very fine details of our life. This is why Passover is so important. I put the house on the market for a whopping, I told Rachel, I said, I think we should sell it for $62,000. Wow, $62,000. Now we're like, some like, see, you know, the house is what the price is around here, right? That's crazy. 62000 She goes, no, 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 put it for sixty. I said, okay, sixty. So we put it on. We put it for sale, a for sale sign in a flower pot of rocks in our front yard. Not, nothing major. Not, I mean, seriously. And we had a friend help us out for free. She was a real estate agent. Didn't take any money from us. Just said, I want to do this for you for free. God was organizing some things in my life. Watch this. People come in and say, hey, we want to buy your house. At the same time, another couple came in and said, hey, we want to buy your house. And I said, well, I said, this is what we're going to do. I said, y'all both come up with a different offer, and whoever gives me the most gets the house. So the second couple came in and says, uh, the first one came in and says, uh, we'll give you 61. I said, Okay. And the second couple came in and says, we'll give you 62. I said, <laughs> I didn't say anything. But I was like, all right, <laughs> 62. Sold it. Used every penny at seminary. Every penny at seminary. I wasted my life on the call of God. You have to get to a point where you will waste your life on God's call. If you don't, you will never become or do everything Christ died for you to become and do. You have to come to a point where you say, my family is yours, my house is yours, my truck is yours, my boat is yours, I am yours. I cannot say I am yours, but hold on to everything so tightly. If I came in here and I preached A politically correct message and saying, hey, listen, we've got to be uh, understanding of Allah and Muhammad. And I said, so we're going to have a time where we not only worship Jesus Christ, but we're going to have a picture of Muhammad up here and pay respects to him. How many of you would get up out of here and leave? Good job. Good job. I said, well, we got to pay our respects to Buddha. Got a little statue of Buddha over here. So let's light some candles and let's pray to Buddha before we pray to Jesus. How many of you get up out of here and leave? How many of you would get up out of here and leave if it came in here and says, Well, I'm, a, I'm an atheist. Well, what are we doing here? <laughs> Worshiping yourself? Right? Okay, listen. Y- y'all would get up out of here and leave, right? How many times do we bring the things we hold on to so tightly our possessions, our life, what's mine, as little idols, and we come in here and we say, We worship you, Jesus. Do you think that he would get up out of here and leave? He wouldn't even show up. I have to come, I have to put it on the line. I've got to remember my Passover. Church, the Passover, all The children of the unrighteous in Egypt, the firstborn, died. And by the blood of Christ, the Israelites, their firstborn, lived and got to go out of Egypt. What is your Passover? Your Passover should drive you to put it all on the line and waste your life on Christ. I am pretty sure there is multiple things Jesus could have done in his life and maybe started a great carpentry business and done great things. He could have done a lot of things, but he wasted his life on me. So what do I owe him? I for sure owe him a house. Done. I for sure owe him my life course. See, because church is not a decision on what you're going to do on Sunday. It is a lifestyle. Remember your Passover. Remember your victory. Every time you have a Passover, you eat the meal, you are saying, not because of my great sin, but because of His great redemption, I am here. Deuteronomy 9:11 one of the last things he's going to do Deuteronomy 9:11 says this and at the end of the 40 days and the 40 nights the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone the tablets of the covenant there's going to be a reassurance of his promise Moses is talking to the, the children of Israel, to I, I want you to look at this. If you look on verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Now, I know he's talking about people in southeast Texas, just Texas in general. You're stubborn, Okay. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of you trying to find purpose in your life, in the midst of you losing neighbors, friends, family, they died, and you turned your back on God. In the midst of your wilderness, you provoked God to anger, but He did not give you His wrath. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt... Until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets, Moses, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And that's verse 11. Then it says, verse 12, Go quickly, whom you have brought out of Egypt. Now listen to me very carefully. There's going to be a reassurance of God's promises over your life individually, locally, and globally. Pride will not be a part of the harvest. Do not think that you are somebody special. Because it is not your righteousness, it is not your righteousness that saves you, it is His. So, when the harvest time comes and there is a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, I dare not look onto the wicked and say, You deserve it, because I would be in their lot if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. What is our job is this to fervently pray and intercede for the lost, for it's harvest time. Last scripture, and we're going to pray. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Sorry, that was the last scripture we were going to use. I will led y'all backwards, my bad. John chapter 4, looking at verse uh, 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat some food. This is after he talked to the woman at the well, somebody who is significantly lost. So lost, she tried to find purpose in men, and they all failed her. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In harvest season, this is your food. This is what will sustain you. This is what will give you purpose. This is what will fill your life if you do what God's called you to do. Amen? Do not say there There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look. Look. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There are people dying and going to hell. And God is saying the fields are ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Listen to this. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. For centuries and generations and even in this local church and even in for you individually, there is somebody who has loud and sowed the seeds of faith through prayer, proclamation and loving you. Some of you are alive because your mama prayed for you. Some of you are alive because your daddy disciplined you. I know when I was in high school some of my friends would be like, "Hey, Elkins, let's go do this." I'd be like, "Nah. I ain't going to do it." "Why are you scared?" Yeah, of my dad. And if you'd meet him, you'd be scared too. Some of you are here because somebody who knows the Lord prayed for you, and you don't even know that they prayed for you, but you'll meet them in heaven. Some of you might not even be saved, don't even really know the Lord, but you're sitting here listening to me going, man, I can't believe he talked about chocolate ice cream like that. Right? Right? For centuries, people individually and even in this church body have sowed the seed. Sowed the seed. Plowed a new way. Plowed a new way. Sowed the seed. The Lord brought rain. Sowed the seed. You are here off of the backs of those who have sowed the seed for years at this church. Amen. Now you get to reap the benefit of somebody praying for you individually and for the pastors of this church sowing the seed for years, now you get to be a part of the harvest time of God. You get to ride that wave, man. But it's with humility that we're a part of this harvest time. It is with humility that we partake of this harvest time. So I'm going to pray for some of you guys. If that's okay with you, Can I pray for you guys? Amen? I'm going to pray for some of you guys. I feel like, I don't know, I'm going to leave the Lord some space. we got just a little bit of time. I want to leave the Lord just a little space, okay? Just a little space just to move and just to pray for some of you guys. I just want to hear what the Lord If you need, let's just do this. If you need a redefined purpose in your life, just go ahead and stand up where you are. First thing. Redefined purpose. Kind of lost focus on some things. A redefined purpose. Good. 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 Amen. My prayer for all of us is that we find somehow, some way in our normal, ordinary, everyday, average life, we find a way to waste our life on Christ. Amen. Okay, stay standing. Second thing, if you want a resurgence of power in your life, maybe there's been some times in your life where you just didn't lack the drive and the the power of Christ working in your life, and you kind of faltered and kind of bent your knee to some things that you should not be worshiping in your life. You can go ahead and stand up. Let's pray for you. Okay. Okay. if you need the refreshing spirit of purity to come over your life, you know there's some things in your life that should not be there. You know, you know, you know, you know. I want you to stand. Okay. Amen. Mm. If you need a reminder of Passover, Meaning this, you need a reminder of your testimony. You say, well, I don't have one. You're sitting here, aren't you? You're alive up until this point to hear me preaching the gospel to you. What great favor has the Lord shown you? If you need a reminder of Passover, stand. For we do not drink the cup and eat the bread in vain, but judging ourselves, we look and we remind ourselves of what we've been delivered from. And we do not flagrantly just drink the cup and eat the bread, not knowing what Christ has done for us. Amen. If you need a reassurance of His promise in your life, Lord, I I think I know what you said, I think I know what you want me to do. Lord, I think, Lord, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But this is what you've promised. If you want a reassurance of the promise of God over your life, you can just stand. Amen. Amen. His promise always stands. Listen to me, church, real quick. God will never lie to you. God's not like me. I'll tell you I don't have any banana pudding so I can eat the rest of it. Okay? God won't lie. He's not a man that he should lie. And if he says something, he doesn't waste his words. Amen? All right. Let's just pray. If you're not standing, I want you just to begin praying. Let's just have the Lord minister to us. All right. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that it's your season, not mine. Lord, I thank you that it's your season, not Billy Graham's. Lord, I think it's your season, not Matt Cato, not Robert Morris. It's yours. Always has been, always will be. Lord, I pray for the nation of Israel. God, we all lift our hands and we pray for Israel. Lord, may you protect her, may you bless her, may you woo her into your presence, Lord God. May they worship Yahweh. May they see the one whom they have pierced and praise you. Lord, I pray right now that your hedge of protection and your angels would be around the nation of Israel. Lord, and I pray right now that any political leader in this country or the other ones, I pray that you would turn their heart to fulfill your divine prophetic purpose for the nation of Israel. Lord, may they multiply. May they multiply. May they dance before you like David. May the sacrifice of their praise come up to you. May you smell the sweetness of the sacrifice and pour out a blessing on the nation of Israel. Father God, I thank you that you are returning them to their former glory, that it is your season of harvest, that it is your time. Lord, we prepare the way. May you come and partake Of any fruit that you have planted and anything that you have done that you're going to need, that you want, Lord God, it is yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Father, come and take what is rightfully yours in Jesus' name. God, I pray for your church individually, locally, and globally. Lord, may we prepare ourselves for the great wedding banquet. May we have renewed purpose, rejuvenation of power in our life. May we never forget the Passover and what you have delivered us from. May we take away everything that is impure of our life, that we look at, that we think about, that we do, Father, in preparation for your coming. Father, let us remember every promise that you have made. To you alone be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Go home and be thankful to the Lord.